This is Greg Olson, inviting you to check out my new Blue Wire podcast, TE1, where I interview tight ends throughout the history of the NFL who have helped revolutionize the position. TE1 is presented by the Chevy Silverado. The Silverado is all about grit. It's strong and dependable, exactly like playing tight end. Just like the incredible players we sit down with on the podcast, the Chevy Silverado is in a league of its own. Strong, advanced, and dependable. Download TE1 today, wherever you listen to podcasts. How good are we feeling about CEH and Jonathan Taylor as Cam Newton to QB1? And will Brady to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers experiment fall flat on its face? We're talking all that and more on Roto-Viz Radio. What's up, Roto-Viz? Welcome back to Rotoviz Radio, brought to you by Pepsi Indeed, Bet Online, and the FFPC. I'm Dave Cabin, Senior Fantasy Analyst at Rotoviz, joined by the editor in chief of Fantasy Labs, part of the Action Network, Matt Friedman. Uh, we, uh, I should mention before we start, are back to a once a week schedule. So these podcasts will be arriving to you Tuesday morning. Matt, this was your first Sunday watching NFL football in the great state of Minnesota. Was it all that you dreamed it would be? Uh, I didn't really have any dreams about it. By the way, I just want to make sure. Are you, are you sure that you listed all of the sponsors? There were so many of them. I, I'm not sure if you actually uh, hit all of them. Yes. But, uh, anyway, yes. I appreciate on, that, but I did. I did. Yes. On on Sunday, uh, you know, I did my, my typical thing. Woke up very early in the morning, uh, worked on projections, and uh, on, honestly, just the rest of the day, kind of tried to relax. Went uh, on a walk with my wife, that uh, like around the neighborhood. That was nice. Uh, you know, focused on some football, but, uh, you know, also really just tried to start getting ready for week two. You know, the grind doesn't stop. <laughs> oh, it definitely does not. Uh, and with that in mind, we're going to pop right into this FFPC stat attack. With expected points of 34 and 30.6, only Josh Allen and Devontae Adams saw more expected points than Clyde Edwards-Alaire, who had 30.5. Just how impressed was Matt with this performance? We'll find out in a minute. But as a reminder, the FFPC is home to the best fantasy football leagues and contests in the industry, including Dynasty, Best Ball, and of course, the world-famous FFPC main event. To learn more or to join a league, head to myffpc.com. That's myffpc.com. And you know, we have a handful of tools at Rotoviz designed specifically for FFPC domination. All right, Matt, just take the floor and start talking to us about CEH. Okay. Actually, I want to, uh, something weird just happened there with my microphone. Okay. No. Okay. Anyway. Nope. Nope. Okay. So actually before getting on CEH, uh, I want to ask a, a random question sure. uh, about expected points. Yep. I'm assuming these are the, uh, are you talking about sort of like fantasy expected points, uh, like in the Rotoviz yep. tools? Yep. Okay. Yep. So, well, okay. I'll just say first. Yeah. CEH was awesome. Uh, up a lot of fantasy points without even um you know getting a reception so very impressive i want to derail the show by asking about the expected points because i'm thinking about this one of the reasons why he probably had so many expected points was because he had six carries inside the three yard line yep and you wouldn't get as many expected points 
if you were actually successful at converting. So, you know what I'm saying? So like expected points there is a little inflated because of the failure of uh, like not converting those opportunities into touchdowns. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, that's actually a really good point. So um, anyway, just kind of something random to, to think about yeah, there, but, but like so big I'll, picture. Uh, well, yeah, I'll, I'll just mention that just for a second in case there's anybody that's unaware of, of how these work. Basically, every touch that a player gets, we convert into an expected points total based on like the down, the distance, and the complete situation of it. So like Matt said, a goal line carry is going to be worth more expected points because naturally there's a higher likelihood that a player is going to get a touchdown from there, boosting the points that they'll score that week than if they just get like a random handoff on first and 10 at like their own 20. Um, so with that in mind, yeah, it's actually a pretty good point, Matt, that that uh, does kind of inflate things. But I mean, it still doesn't take away from the fact that he was awesome. I think much better as a runner than anyone would have expected. I think people were like, okay, he will be fine. Like he will be good enough as a runner, but really dynamic as a receiver. And now I think the sense is like, this guy could actually be a really good runner. Like a a, a clean uh, like between the tackles guy, he can, uh, you know, get out in space. And then of course you have the receiving capability on top of that, which we haven't even seen in the NFL, but like we know is there. So uh, super impressed. I mean, is he, is he the one one in dynasty? Is he already the one one Like, I, I don't know. I mean, I had him as my number three running back in dynasty before week one. Uh, do I bump him up above Christian McCaffrey now? I mean, I think he's got that type of potential and he's only 21. Like you, you have to be aggressive, like to get ahead of the curve on stuff like this. Uh, I, I think there's a case to be made. He's already the one-on-one. Wow. You don't think we need to, I mean, I guess it's basically because the expectations were already so high and it already was so reasonable. And now you just see this guy that's looking like actually might be better than we thought in an offense. That's just as good as we thought it would be. Um, so I can understand that. And the point about being aggressive certainly makes sense. Cause I guess though, if you're a, a owner, right? I think that the window has already closed on people trying to pry him away from you pretty much. Right. Unless maybe you get an offer of McCaffrey and something else. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think so. Like, it would take a lot for you to trade him away. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, honestly, if if you don't have him, make an offer. Because if someone out there isn't valuing him as if he's the number one overall player in Dynasty, you actually might be able to get him at a discount. So you are actually definitively saying that to you, he actually is the one-on-one in Dynasty? I haven't updated my rankings yet, but... Here's like, we've had this conversation about like, think a year in yep. advance, like a, a year from now, he's going to be the one-on-one unless he has suffered some sort of injury, which we just, we can't predict, but like, he will be the one-on-one a year from now. Well, can I interject that there means, just, just for that a minute? means though. he should be the one-on-one now. Yeah. Um, when you're saying he's going to be the one-on-one next year, is that based upon the fact that you believe this season he's going to outperform Christian McCaffrey or just that when you look at the age of McCaffrey compared to the age of Alaire, we have to make that adjustment. Do you get what I'm yeah, saying? I, yeah, I do not believe he will outperform Christian McCaffrey this year. Okay. Um, I think he will probably be like, I don't know, the number five 
Got running it. back this year, something like that. But I'm saying a year from now in dynasty startup drafts, he will be going number one. Got it. I think that makes sense. So, I mean, clearly, you know, it's hard to even, even talk about what the potential could be like there. Cause also this was just the first game, right? Now they actually yeah. know what they can do yeah. with him. So like, I know some people wanted to actually like try to, knock down their performance because he didn't get any of the receptions, but it's like, come on, we know that he can do that. And also this was just the first game, right? They were still trying to use Williams, which, you know, I, I don't think he made a very compelling case as to why they would have to continue to use him. So really this almost might have been like the floor granted they, they, you know, the chiefs played very well. The Texans didn't have their best game, but I don't think that this was really even representative of like a high end performance for him in any way. Yeah, absolutely. Like it's just wheels up from here. Uh, once they start to activate him as a receiver, it's just game over. Yeah. So naturally, if we talk about him, I think now we need to make our way to talking about the Colts game. You know, Marlon Mack was playing, I thought, pretty well before he suffered that unfortunate Achilles injury, which it looks like has unfortunately ended his season he went for 26 yards and four carries, converted three of three targets to Rex for 30 yards. The other interesting thing, though, Matt, was we saw Naheem Hines absolutely going off, scoring 27 points, had a rushing and a receiving touchdown, which brings us, though, to Jonathan Taylor, who had to become involved. Nine rushes for just 22 yards, but he did have six Rex for 67 yards. And I personally thought, though, that when you were watching him out there, especially on some of those receptions, you could see that for a big man, this guy was so quick, so fast, had the agility, showed that he can be a useful receiving back. And I think you also have to be really encouraged about him. He he looked way better as a receiver than I was expecting. Uh, so, I mean... Kudos to everyone who was uh, totally on board with Jonathan Taylor and, you know, thought that the receiving wouldn't be a problem. Um, I mean, I think at this point with Marlon Mack out, Taylor, uh, I mean, like top eight, yeah. top eight fantasy running back, maybe a little bit higher. I mean, he's he's right up there with all of, look, look at it this way. If Marlon Mack had opted out before the season, the way that Damian Williams did, that would have catapulted Taylor up to the first round easily. I think that would have like put like my top seven running backs into a top eight group at that point with Taylor included. So that's where he is right now. Yeah. And you know, it's kind of the same thing that it was with uh, Edwards Alaire in which this again was the first game, you know, for Taylor, he managed to put together this performance going for around 15 fantasy points, depending on your league with, you know, not even involvement right out of the gate, like in the original game plan. Um, so, you know, if things had been, like you said, if we knew going, or if the team knew going into the season that Mac wasn't going to be available, some of those Heinz touchdowns may even have been Taylor's. So, you know, I'm feeling really encouraged about him. And running back that I was not expecting we would be talking about, Matt, is Malcolm Brown. So let's just talk about the Rams' backfield. Uh, some might even say that Brown not only out got more work than acres, but may have outplayed him. What do you think? Uh, he definitely did. I mean, this is painful and I should say we are recording this, uh, while the first Monday night football game is going. And, uh, it looks like James Connor has been injured in that game and, uh, Connor and acres 
were like the two guys at the running back position outside of the first round that I was just like anchoring on. So uh, extremely, <laughs> extremely painful week one for me. Uh, but no doubt that Malcolm Brown looked much better than I thought he would and better than Cam Akers. What is encouraging is that Akers did get, even with rather bad, uh, bad tape. I mean, I've never said that phrase before ever <laughs> in my life, but even with that, um, he still had 15 touches. So I think he's going to be involved. Uh, I don't think he's going to be any worse than what we saw in week one, I would expect improvement. And I would also expect Malcolm Brown to, I don't know, come back to the pack a little bit. Like, I think that was Malcolm Brown at his best. I don't think he's going to be that good moving forward. And uh, like, maybe I'm wrong, um, but uh, I don't know. I, I'm looking at this as an opportunity to, to buy uh, Cam Akers. Like I'm focusing on the fact that he had 15 touches in a good offense. Like, I think there's something there to build on. And I imagine people will uh, maybe be desirous to sell him cheap. Well, you know, the other thing is, and I'm sure people remember this, what happened uh, week one of last season, Malcolm Brown, 11 rushing attempts, two rushing touchdowns, um, a 17.3 PPR performance. Now, he kind of disappeared after that. I understand it was a different team, different situation. But my point here is it's not like this isn't something that we've seen before. And though he had that good performance, you could use it to say that it negates what we might have expected for Akers. But I actually view it as a positive, right? Because we were able to see him have success in the confines of this offense. And if you're somebody that truly believes that Akers is the better football player, like I happen to, then this is more of a reason that you know, you can expect as the season moves on and Akers continues to get a shot, he eventually flips the script, takes over, and then could be successful. Uh, but I think the pressing question for a lot of people here would be, how aggressively do they need to go after Malcolm Brown on the waiver wire? I don't know. Like, do you think 25%, 30% of fab, something like that? Like, I think that's where I'm, I would I'm, draw the line. I mean, I don't think I'd go much higher than that. Um, it's based off of one performance, which was good, but you still have that uncertainty with Akers there. And, you know, you did mention that Akers was someone involved, so it's not even that clear that it's going to be, you know, like an outsized workload for him, at which point the touchdowns just become super important. Yeah, I mean, we we really do not know. And so you're betting on, like, trying to sort of think of, like, the odds of him keeping the job with the uh, touchdowns that he could have within that offense. So thinking about how good that offense is. And, I mean, I'd say there's, you know, I don't know, maybe like a 30% chance. Maybe it's higher yeah. that he, he ends up keeping the job or, you know, like, having, you know, like, running back to value over the course of the season, you well, know, but like, that's what you're trying to think. If you think he ends up keeping the job, then you have to go get him. Yeah. So I guess though, to kind of put things in perspective here, uh, maybe we should have talked about this with Indianapolis with Mac out. What should that do to Naheem Hines? Obviously Jonathan Taylor is going to be owned, but I think there could be leagues where Hines isn't owned. Does he right. have a role that maintains and how, like how much more would you prefer Brown than Hines, assuming that you even do? Mm, I mean, I, I prefer Brown because I think he has more upside, but I think 
Heinz probably has the higher floor. Like I think Heinz has a built-in role. Like maybe what people were kind of thinking Chris Thompson might be in Jacksonville. Like Heinz has a decent chance of being that, not necessarily because like of game script or anything like that, but just because in that offense, they are going to throw the ball a decent amount to running backs. And Heinz does have that skill set. So I think he will be um he will be involved. I just, I mean, I don't see him ever taking over as the lead back. Even like if Jonathan Taylor suffers an injury, uh, Hines isn't going to be the guy who's the lead back, whereas Brown actually might be the lead back. Yeah, I think that's a fair distinction. Um, We're going to take a break in a minute, though, but one more topic I want to hit before we do. Was it wrong of us to say that David Johnson was washed? A pretty impressive performance in his first game with the Texans. 11 rush attempts, 77 rush yards, scored a touchdown, converted three of four targets, added 32 yards in the receiving game for 10.7 yards per reception. What'd you think, Matt? I mean, it was impressive. It was week one. Just like, just as I'm not going to. Um, sort of extrapolate Will Fuller's week one over the course of the season. Like, I'm not going to do that for David Johnson. Like, it was a great week one. Uh, as long as he's healthy, uh, I think he will continue to get a lot of volume, which should translate into fantasy production. But, you know, like, if he suffers some sort of injury or he just starts slowing down because he's older, then it's a different situation. But, yeah, week one, he looks really good. Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to come out in here and say, you know, like, oh my gosh, what we're doing, David Johnson should have been going in like the second or the third. But I will say, you know, it definitely looks like it could go a little bit more positively than I had expected. We will see how it plays out. But as I said, we're going to take a quick little break and we will be back right after these words from our sponsors. This football season will be different and Pepsi is here to get you ready for game day. No matter how you watch this season, I will be watching with Pepsi and watching the New England Patriots, and I cannot wait. Pepsi is the refreshment you need to power through game day and become a member of the League of Football Watchers. These passionate fans are the real generational talent that Pepsi fuels, because Pepsi isn't made for those who play the game, it's made for those who watch it. Pepsi, made for football watching. Even though sports had a break, your business didn't. You have to keep moving, and that makes hiring more important than ever. Indeed is here to help. Indeed.com is the number one job site in the world because Indeed gets you the best people fast. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need. You can pause your account at any time and there are no long-term contracts. Plus, Indeed provides powerful tools to make you search that much easier, like sponsored jobs, which are shown to be three and a half times more likely to result in a hire. With 73% of online job seekers visiting Indeed each month, Indeed is going to get you the important hire you need just like they have for over 3 million businesses. And right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Offer valid through September 30. So J.K. Dobbins scores two touchdowns, but picks up just 22 yards on seven rushes. Uh, what do we do with this, Matt? 
Uh, I don't know. I mean, I think you just, like, if you're in a best ball league, you're just happy that he got some touchdowns. It's not as if he was getting massive usage, but uh, I mean, it was decent. I think, you know, the bigger thing is just kind of realizing that it wasn't like a goal line package of you know, like Mark Ingram is out there on the field and then they get close to the end zone and then J.K. Dobbins comes running in and steals the touchdown or something like that. It's not as if he's sort of like locked in as the goal line back. It's just these touchdowns came in the normal flow of the game. I guess what is probably good to see is that he's not going to be removed at the goal line for Mark Ingram, uh, which I like that could have been a legitimate threat. But uh, it doesn't look like that's something that's really on the table. So, uh, I mean, good news, but I don't think he's someone you can really rely on until he actually carves out a a usable, consistent role. Yeah, I I mean, like to me, this is the type of performance that if you're somebody that uh, drafted Dobbins, you can be encouraged by, um, but it shouldn't move the needle a great deal. Uh, but nonetheless, I mean, if a player does get two touchdowns in his first game, I think that signals towards the fact that he at the very least should be fairly involved in the sure. offense. Um, you know, so I think you can leave this game feeling pretty good. If you're trying to decide if you start him next week, you know, I don't I don't know that you can really draw too much on the on the events of this week. Other than that, he should have some type of involvement. I mean, it's like um I mean, it's like, you know, Rob, you know, from Game of Thrones saying like uh, three victories are better than three defeats, you know, like yep. it's it's great that he did score the two touchdowns like that's better than him doing nothing. It is encouraging. It's just something that you can't really count on moving forward for sure. Um, how infuriating was it that Peyton Barber saw 17 rushing attempts and scored two touchdowns uh, instead of, you know, maybe Antonio Gibson? And should we have seen this coming? Uh, yeah, but, um, I mean, this is the kind of stuff that happens in week one, like veterans play a little bit more than they should. Uh, I imagine that by the middle of the season, it will be Antonio Gibson out there getting a lot of that work. Got it. Um, I don't know if you were able to actually like watch any of it yet, or you have any reaction to how you think that, uh, Gibson played. Cause I've kind of heard altering takes on it. Uh, I thought he was a little bit raw. I mean, like, it didn't seem totally natural as a running back, but then there were times when he looked, like, very explosive. So, I like, I would just say very mixed. And I say this as someone who, you know, like, knows nothing about how football should be played. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fair enough. It's not like I'm, like, out there, Matt Waldman, like, really, like, diagnosing plays, noticing, like, oh, he should have taken this angle uh, you know, like that's not the way I look at football. I know. Um, you know, my my untrained eye, my analysis is uh, he could have done better. He, <laughs> he didn't look totally natural out there. But also, it's it's hard to know with the offensive line. You know what I mean? It's yeah. not as if like Peyton Barber was also out there just like tearing off great chunk runs or anything. Yeah. Um, I I enjoy asking you though those type of questions just to see what the response is going to be. Another running back here that I want to talk about uh, who we, well, I don't know if anybody would make the argument that we should have seen this coming, uh, but nonetheless, perhaps drafters shouldn't have been forgetting about him to the extent that we did. That's Miles Gaskin actually led the Dolphins with nine rushing attempts, also converted four or four targets, uh, finishes the day with 10.6 PPR points. We did not see Matt uh, 
Brita really at all. He was used very sparingly. Jordan Howard did get a couple of looks, managed to score a touchdown. Um, but thoughts kind of on this backfield now, and um, I'm also curious as to what your perception of Gaskin's waiver wire uh, priority should be. Um, I'm not really looking at Gaskins at all. Like, um, I don't think I even said his name right. I think it's Gaskin and yep. not Gaskins. <laughs> I I don't even know to be honest. Yeah, like I'm just I'm not thinking about anything that has to do with this Miami offense. Um, that backfield is a total mess right now. Uh, I mean, it was disheartening for Matt Breida investors because it looked like this might finally be the opportunity for him to break out. But, uh, I mean, doesn't, doesn't look like it's going to happen, but that also doesn't mean I want to invest in a guy, uh, whose name I can't remember. (laughs) Yeah, that's perfectly fair. Uh, the Falcons and Packers, both teams had three wide receivers scoring 17 or more PPR points. Will all six of these wide receivers remain viable fantasy options as we move forward? Uh, no. <laughs> Next question. <laughs> no, no, no. Let's talk about it a little bit. You had Russell Gage with, I believe, 12 targets matching Calvin Ridley and Julio Jones. Obviously, that isn't going to continue. But as far as flex, op- flex options go, do you think that we could see Gage continue to do that? You know, get some level of usage that makes him relevant? Yeah, I mean, he once Ahmed Sanu uh, was traded last year, and Russell Gage became the the full time slot receiver for the Falcons. He actually had some games with pretty decent usage. Um, you know, I mean, thirteen. I mean, it was the last game of the season, but thirteen targets in Week Seventeen. He had ten targets in Week Twelve. Uh, you know, like he. It's not as if this is going to be something that's consistent. But for the final nine games of the season, he had 7.3 targets, 44.7 yards, five receptions per game. Like, that's that's pretty decent. Um, if he has a little bit of touchdown luck to go along with that, um, yeah, I mean, like, he will be useful as, like, a fringy type of guy. But um, I, I don't know. Like, it's still, like, relatively low floor. I think like in general, but um, he could have those sort of like Jameson Crowder type of situations where he finds his way into, you know, like 12 targets and he has a hundred ish yards and you're like, wow, that was better than I expected. Yeah, definitely. Um, And to kind of just quickly touch upon the back half of his season last year, it was strong enough that the GLSP actually picked up on, um, those performances and actually kind of identified him as a guy that you might want to consider flexing uh, this past weekend. So we'll see what he can do. Um, It was a bit of a disappointing performance though for Hayden Hurst. Do you think that there's actually any concern that with the way this team operates, it's actually, you know, uh, Julio, then Ridley, then Gage, and then Hurst uh, just kind of gets relegated to the background. It's possible. Um, because Austin Hooper last year pretty much was a big bodied slot receiver. Uh, and you know, people just sort of assumed that that work would end up going to Hayden Hurst, but, uh, you know, maybe it actually goes to the real slot receiver on the team. Uh, and Hurst just kind of does something that's kind of similar to what he did when he was with the Ravens. Um, he did make a pretty athletic catch. And, uh, I do think there is some potential, like we should remember Seattle, 
has two very good safeties. Yep. Um, and so I think part of it is that it was just a tough matchup for a tight end in general. Got it. Um, Tom Brady tries to, you know, match the cam performance on the, uh, you know, scoring the rushing touchdown to kind of get things going in his Buccaneers career. After that, did not play very well. Chris Godwin put up 14 points. Evans managed a touchdown in two yards. Given what we saw from Brady, I know it was the first game. Do you think we should start to be a little bit concerned about the prospects for Evans and Godwin? I mean, those guys were, you know, on my not necessarily like do not draft list, but my like do not go out of my way to get these guys list. And just kind of how I went about building teams, I have almost no exposure to them. Uh, I do have exposure to Godwin, but no exposure to Evans. Um, this offense was always due to regress. Like even if Jameis Winston were still there, they wouldn't this year have as many passing yards and passing touchdowns. And so there would just be less production to go around. You add in Brady, there was going to be all the more regression. And then you add Gronk into it. Uh, my thinking was that, you know, maybe he wouldn't challenge so much for yards, but he would challenge for touchdowns. Um, you know, we just kind of have to see how that plays out. But yeah, I mean, uh, I was, I was a little bit worried anyway. Um, and what we saw, especially now with Evans, with the hamstring issue, like what we saw was not encouraging. Yeah, not at all. And then the other thing that really was interesting to see was, you know, Ronald Jones actually looked pretty decent. Uh, Leonard Fournette did really not get that much involvement. Granted, he hasn't been with the team for a long time. But, you know, just another player that people might have gotten too excited about once they saw him land in Tampa Bay. And we could be looking at yet another player that, uh, you know, really just does not work out for owners. But I actually uh, was. I, yeah, go ahead. Push back on that. Was Ronald Jones that good? Like, I mean, not from I, a I statistical standpoint, but I thought he had a couple of good looking runs. Like, let me phrase it like this. When yeah. I saw him playing, I actually said to myself, OK, you know, this looks a little bit more like what people were talking about when he was coming out of school versus my perceptions in years past. Yeah, I mean, it, to me, it looked like um, a whole bunch of really bad runs than like a couple of good runs. Like, I think the most you could say about it was that uh, he had 20 opportunities, which uh, I mean, is massive. Not many running backs are going to get that kind of usage. So that's a big thing he had going for him. I didn't think he really did all that much with the opportunities and we don't know if those opportunities will be there in future weeks. So I thought it was actually like a bad, a bad. performance. Okay. Like, like if he, if on 20 opportunities he had gone out there and put up 150 yards, everyone would have been like, you know what? I don't know if Fournette's touching the ball next week. You know, like yeah. he had the opportunity actually to do something. And I think he played poorly enough to where it's going to make, the coaching staff want to give the other guy more opportunities. Okay. Um, I'm actually not going to push back on that because it's not like I felt uh, super strongly about it. But so I guess where we would go to with this is that we still have this super clouded kind of picture of a backfield. And now we might even have a backfield that has less value than we even anticipated heading into the season. I think that's accurate. Oh, boy. Um, yeah, I don't know how that works out for people. Um, I guess just the larger implication, too, is this team playing in a pretty tough division, um, 
I mean, where where do you set your expectations for the Buccaneers now, just like record wise? Uh, and I mean, I still think that they're the second best team. They're better than the Falcons. They're better than the Panthers. And I think nine and seven, 10 and six, like that's possible. I think eight and eight is probably like the floor. That's the general range in which I think they're going to fall. Like, I don't think they're a 12 win team. You know, I think they're not at all. Yeah. Like I, I think they're, you know, like, but there were, there were people who were like optimistically saying like, Oh, this is a team that's going to crush. Um, I think they're more of like a, a 10 win, a 10 win team. Um, maybe like at the ceiling. Yeah. You know, I guess the one thing that does make that question harder to answer is the fact that they were playing against a really good offensive team. And one of the reasons people were buying into them was this improved defense. So maybe we'll learn more about the defense being able to support an offense, not living up to what we thought about as we move forward. Dallas Goddard, really good performance for the Eagles in what was, you know, a bit of a disastrous game for them. Has he leapfrogged? Oh, that's funny. I actually wrote Kelsey in the show sheet, but I meant to say Ertz, obviously, because, uh, you know, there are going to be people asking this question. Um, no, but I mean, in Dynasty, I already had Ertz number four and Goddard number five. So, you know, like... They're right there. Like I, I do think that Goddard is every bit as much the, not the pass catching presence, but like the every down player in this offense that Ertz is. Um, and so I think some games that's going to mean that Ertz ends up getting more targets, and then other games like Goddard will be the guy who gets the workload. But um, yeah, I mean, like he's he's legit, and as long as Jeffrey is out. There will be enough targets for both guys to be ranked pretty highly. Yeah. Um, I completely agree with that. And then we did get to see Jalen Rager had that one long, nice reception. Um, but you know, still though, it really looks like this offense is going through the tight ends. Now, naturally we didn't get to take a look at how this offense would function with Miles Sanders there. Unfortunately, he was out to start the season, but I still think it's safe to say that, you know, a lot of the offense is going to run through Ertz and guard it through the passing game. Um, any th- other thoughts though, like just uh, in, on Philadelphia in general? I mean, I don't really think there was too much to say about Boston Scott. Carson Wentz really wasn't that impressive. Deshaun Jackson, it looks like, is going to get phased in slowly. Uh, but I, you know, was kind of surprised to see them really just fall apart against Washington. Totally surprising. Um, yeah, I mean, not much to say. The running back position is a mess. Uh, I'm still bullish on Deshaun Jackson. I, I still think he will have some blow up games. Got it. Um, so Cam Noonan, first game with New England, rushes for two touchdowns, connected with, uh, in Keel Harry, I think it was six times, got Edelman involved, um, you know, didn't have to throw it that much, looked very good on the ground. I think he had 75 yards. I don't have the stats up right now, but I thought it was actually a pretty encouraging first game for him. Uh, how likely would you say it is now that he finishes as a QB one? Uh, I mean, I think every game he plays, he's a QB one. I think I had him ranked as my QB five or QB six entering the week. And it's not like the uh, production looked all that pretty, but it never is pretty with Cam Newton. I mean, let let me turn this around on you. How excited are you? Like, cause you are a, (laughs) 
Patriots fan. Yep. And I'm sure like we didn't really talk about it like uh I think the sadness of Brady leaving, but I'm I'm sure there was some of it there. How how excited are you about the future and like the possibility of what may be with Cam Newton as your quarterback? Because if I were a Patriots for a fan, I would be freaking out with happiness. Yeah, I mean, I am really excited. And it's not so much in that, like, I think we're all of a sudden going back to the Super Bowl and going to be like the team that we have been, you know, for the last two decades. Uh, but it is just really exciting to have still like a pretty good football product to watch team to cheer for. And then also to kind of to see this team doing some different things that we haven't got to see in the past looks like, you know, maybe in kill Harry, his role will continue to grow. He'll have that chemistry with cam. Um, you know, so it's just kind of like you have this whole new team to kind of take in and absorb. So I am really excited. And also, you know, when you look at the AFC East, I still think there's going to be a lot of compelling, really interesting games. So I'm excited. I'm really looking forward to see how uh, we play against Buffalo that first time this year. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I'm not going to say uh, the Patriots are winning the Super Bowl or anything like that. But I mean, honestly, this team, uh, I could see them being dangerous and really exciting all season long. Because um, I think what we saw in week one was the fairly rudimentary version of what this offense could be. Like I expect it to get better and better each week as Newton comes more acclimated to the system as they can add more things to the playbook. Like it's worth remembering he's been on the team. I don't know, like six weeks or something like that. Like not that long. Um, I think the growth will be pretty impressive from here. So man, uh, I, I have Newton in a lot of places and I'm thrilled about it. Yeah. You know, the other thing too, uh, completely anecdotal, but like Josh McDaniels just looked like he was absolutely loving, you know, working on this new game plan with Cam. The, going I was over the things. same with Belichick. Like, I yeah. feel like this will rejuvenate both of them. Yeah. You know, like, it, like if you were Belichick and you could go back two years in the draft and take more Jackson, you would do that. This is the next best thing. This is like his opportunity to have something of a do-over, you know. And uh, for McDaniel's, this is what he wanted with Tebow in Denver. Yep. You know, like the ability to do something like this. He finally has his guy for sure. Um, so not to <laughs> bring up something that might be a little bit painful on your end, um, Mike McCarthy. How are you feeling? Fine. You know, honestly, I, I agreed with the decision to go for it on fourth down. Uh, that's the decision I wanted him to make. Yep. Uh, it, it didn't work out, but, you know, people are like, oh, you have to trust your kicker or like you 